Catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm your instructor, David O'Gray, Master of Arts in Theology, and we begin in nomine Pacis et Fili, et Spiritu Sancti. In this talk, I will be highlighting part two, section two, the seven sacraments of the church. Article one, the sacrament of baptism. Starting in paragraphs 1213 and going all the way to 1284. The beginning paragraphs of this section on the sacrament of baptism, uh, 1210 all the way to 1212, are just preface chapters explaining what the sacraments of initiation are, namely baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. I do find it to be problematic that we oftentimes speak of these sacraments of initiation separately because as paragraph 1211 states, together the three sacraments form an, an organic whole, which each of the three serving a unique and vital role in the initiation process. And as I will discuss soon in the next talk on the sacrament of confirmation, I, I think the church will greatly benefit once we return to celebrating all of the sacraments of initiation together at one time on infants, just as we do with adult converts. But for the purposes of a teaching lecture, I will speak about one sacrament at a time and how all these sacraments connect to the liturgy of the Catholic Mass. Recall now that in context of the Niceo-Constantinople Creed, we are, when we are talking about the sacraments of the church, we are still in the third part of the creed, which concerns the life and work of the Holy Spirit and his joint mission with Christ Jesus. So what the sacrament of baptism is, is the Holy Spirit gathering together the people of God into the economy of salvation to promote their cause of becoming a holy people. This means a gathering God's ecclesia is greater is a greater visible sign than the sign of circumcision in old covenants in three ways. First, because it is for all people, not just for men. Second, because it is not just an external sign, but also a work of interior grace that frees us from the stain of original sin. And third, because inasmuch as circumcision was permanent, baptism affords us with a greater permanence in that it places an indelible mark not only on our body, but on our soul itself, the immortal part of us that does not fade deteriorate or turn into ashes as the body does. In my talks on paragraphs 1 through 49, we discuss why God had given man the capacity to know him and to love him. In this talk on the sacrament of baptism, we will redress that subject. For there is the original capacity that man was given which was wounded by the original sin. The wounded man still has capacity for God, but insufficient for the work he is created for. 
only by the sacrament of baptism is that capacity restored and is then filled with the Holy Spirit and then sealed by the sacraments of confirmation. And that capacity for God is then healed and strengthened by the other sacraments. So keep that talk um, about our capacity for God in mind as you consider the points being made here about the sacrament of baptism. In this summary lecture, I will explain the three reasons why the sacrament of baptism is necessary. Saying first, because holy baptism heals the wound of our human nature. Second, because holy baptism heals our relationship with God. And third, because holy baptism heals our relationship with the community of God's people. Notice how I speak of the necessity of baptism in the same way we speak about the consequences of sin. And that sin always damages three relationships. First, it damages our relationship with God and our relationship with our neighbor. And third, our relationship with ourself. Because the sacrament of baptism is healing the transfused original sin and all personal sin we have committed heretofore. Therefore, being freed from sin and death through baptism, we are adopted into the discipleship of loving God, neighbor, and self, and equipped to do that through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, I build upon the first answer about why the sacrament of baptism is necessary for salvation. That it heals the wound in our human nature. Back in our talk on God the Father, I skipped over the section on the original sin, starting in paragraph 385. Because that subject is better to have... Um, be discussed here in this lecture rather than in the first part of the creed because the sacrament of baptism is the treatment for the condition resulting from the original fault freely committed by Adam and Eve, our first parents, which resulted in a fallen and wounded condition of the human nature, which harmed our capacity to know God which has been propagated to all except the Blessed Mother Mary and her son, Jesus Christ. Because Mary was conceived by natural methods, but whose nature was blessed by God at the moment of conception to be without the stain of original sin. Therefore, Mary is rightly called the new Eve because she was the first woman born after Eve, with the same nature as Eve. And Christ Jesus is the new Adam because he's the first man born after Adam with the same human nature as Adam, but he is also greater than Adam because he also has a divine nature, which is in perfect union, that is hypostatic with his human nature. Yet for the rest of us, that the personal sin of Adam and Eve, it, it ontologically affected 
human nature itself. And from that point forward, the consequences of that original sin were transfused into us at the moment of conception by propagation. In this way, man is unlike the angels whose nature is pure spirit and immortal and and whose knowledge and understanding of God is far superior than that of men. The church teaches in paragraph 393 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church that the irrevocable character of their choice and not a defect in the infinite divine mercy made the bad angels sin unforgivable. There is no repentance for the angels after their fall, just as there is no repentance for men after death. In other words, the angels knew better. They had far superior understanding of who God is because they can see God face to face, yet they voluntarily incline their will against him. In contrast, the nature of man is free, but he does not possess eyes to see God in his full glory. Man has an embodied soul, um, and he's also a mortal being whose growth and understanding of God is far below the angels. Even the Blessed Mother Mary, who had the original human nature, Luke witnesses that Mary did not have full understanding of what the angel Gabriel told her, and that when the shepherds told her and Joseph what had been told to them by the angels, she kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the human made in the image and likeness of God, found by God to be good at the moment of creation, has the gift of free will or mutable will that has the capacity to understand the will of God. The human capacity to understand the will of God became wounded when our first parents desired for themselves what God did not desire for them. That is, when they chose their own will over the will of God. And that is the same inclination that we inherit through the transfusion at the moment of conception. That is, we are inclined to want things that do not belong to us, that are not for us. And whenever we think or act out on that desire to take what is not ours, we sin, just as our parents did. Although our culpability in that sin depends on whether it was truly a free act or whether and whether we did have knowledge of God's will at that moment. This transfusion of the original sin to every human person aside from Jesus and the Blessed Mother Mary is why infant baptism has always been part of our tradition and faith. As paragraph 1250 to 1252, the Catechism of Catholic Church states, Born with a fallen human nature and tainted by original sin, children also have the need of new birth and baptism to be free by the power of darkness 
and brought into the realm of the freedom of the children of God, to which all men are called. The sheer gratuitousness of the grace of salvation is particularly manifest in baptism. The church and the parents would deny a child the priceless grace of becoming a child of God were not to confer baptism shortly after birth. Christian parents will recognize that this practice also accords with their role as nurturers of the life that God has entrusted to them. The practice of infant baptism is an immemorial tradition of the church. There is explicit testimony to this practice from the second century on, and it is quite possible that from the beginning of the apostolic preaching, when whole households received baptism, infants may also have been baptized. This disability of the fallen human nature and its inclination to take what is not ours has the likelihood to be manipulated by Satan, who plays on our emotions and passions and our lack of understanding of God to convince us to take what is not ours here. Paragraph 407 of the Catechism Catholic Church says, By our first parent's sin, the devil has acquired a certain domination over man, even though man remains free. Original sin entails captivity under the power of him who thenceforth had the power of death, that is, the devil. Ignorance of the fact that man has a wounded nature inclined to evil gives rise to serious errors in the areas of education, politics, social action, and morals. This ontological reality of the wounded human condition is a central truth of the Catholic faith. It is what separates us from every other religion, and it is why the fifth session of the Council of Trent in 1546 spent so many resources on its decree concerning original sin. Because what Martin Luther and other protesters were saying was very dangerous. They were teaching that the human nature could not be regenerated. They were teaching that our human nature is permanently fallen. That the sacrament of baptism was to no avail. That it does not wash away the stain of original sin. But through faith alone, we can be legally justified in Christ Jesus. Meaning that we are still as, we are like a dirty pile of horse crap. But when Christ justifies us legally, it is as if that dung heap is covered by snow. So that when a father looks upon us, he only sees a son, not us. Because we are legally covered. The obvious problems with this heresy is that you never really know for certain if your faith has justified you or not. They call justification a legal act, but there is no legal paperwork to support it. And every legal action has to have some written verification. Moreover, 
as sacred scripture and the Council of Trent teaches. For unless a man be born again of water and the Holy Ghost, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So, while other religions were teaching that either man is perfectly fine, he does not need any supernatural help, or that man is broken, but there is no supernatural help. The Protestants are teaching that man is broken, and there is supernatural help, but that help really does not heal him, and there is no way for certain um, to know if that supernatural help has even covered him up legally. So what the protesters are doing was not only harming souls, but in their political calculation and inclination to take what was not theirs. They were saying that the Catholic Church and her sacraments does not have any influence over your salvation. So by stripping the sacraments down to be mere signs and not efficacious and not necessary for salvation, the protesters planted the seed for millions to make a shipwreck of their faith by enabling them to see Christ outside his church. And without the sacraments, which he gave his church so that he could minister directly to his people in person and through sacramental grace, which is the permanent right we have as children of God to have recourse to the assistance we need to help us to obey, to only desire for ourselves and others what God desires for us. The second relationship that the sacrament of baptism heals is our relationship with ourself. Without the sacrament of baptism, we would just be walking around this planet broken, our human nature wounded. And because we are wounded, we would never be able to reach our full capacity or become our true self. Imagine any athlete who you have seen get injured on the field or on the court. Think of a wounded soldier on a battlefield. Think of a surgeon with broken fingers. Try as they might. Wounded people are a liability to themselves and to others. Fortunately, the wounded human nature has a remedy for its condition through the sacrament of baptism, through which we can become our true self and be an assistance to God and others. So one baptism, never necessary for it to be more than once, heals the wound of our fallen human nature, restoring us, lifting us up, not only to our original state before the fall, but to a higher state, because now we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. Our body now truly belongs to the body of Christ, and we have thereby become adopted sons and daughters of the Eternal Father. And because of that, 
the distance between us and the Father is permanently resolved. The only thing we're responsible for, for now is to continue to care for the healed wound by receiving ongoing medical care, medicinal care for it through the sacraments. The permanence of our adoption is the immutable and indelible mark placed on our soul by the Holy Spirit. But the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1274 calls the seal of the Lord, Dominicus character, for the day of redemption. Not only that, paragraph 1265 states, Baptism not only purifies from all sins, but also makes the neophyte a new creature, an adopted son of God, who has become a partaker of the divine nature, member of Christ, and co-heir with him, and in a temple of the Holy Spirit, which makes baptism only one of two sacraments of the church that turns the human person into a new person. The other sacrament is uh, the sacrament of holy matrimony, which takes two persons and makes them one. It is important to recognize the sacrament of baptism for the unique blessing it is. If you ever had the opportunity to study theology under Dr. Regis Martin at Franciscan Steubenville University, you may recall him talking about the primordial questions, such as, who am I? How did I get here? What is my purpose? Where am I going? The questions that every human being has been asking since the beginning, that we've been given free agency to ask and answer these questions. But until 2,000 years ago, there was not really a formula by which we can answer the questions directly or correctly because we did not have direct access to the Father or agency to become like our Father. Then in His mercy, about 2,000 years ago, two new terms entered the equation. Those terms were Christ and His church. Through Christ, we were given access to his father who becomes our adoptive father through baptism. And through his church, we were given the sacraments beginning with baptism, which gives us an opportunity to never lose relationship with our father. As paragraph 1263 of the Catechism of Catholic Church states, By baptism... All sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sin, as well as all punishment for previous sins. And those who have been reborn, nothing remains that would impede their entry into the kingdom of God. Neither Adam's sin, nor personal sin, nor the consequences of sin, the gravest of which is separation from God. The third relationship that the sacrament of baptism heals is our relationship with the community of God's people, the ecclesia, the church. If you have ever worked in on any team, 
you may have had the experience where uh, where one person on the team made things difficult for the other people on the team. Looking back now, you might have considered that person uh, to be uh, malcontent or broken, but overall, your assessment was that they were selfish, that they were only thinking of themselves, not the whole team, through baptism. We die in the water and are reborn in water. Death and purification, regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. We truly become a new creation, not for ourselves, but for the service of the community. Baptism incorporates us into the body of Christ, the church, and thereby we become in his church living stones with the cornerstone, Christ Jesus, sharers in the priesthood of Christ, prophets in the prophetic mission of Christ, kings in the kingship of Christ. And as paragraph 1269 of Catechism Catholic Church teaches, having become a member of the church, the person baptized belongs no longer to himself, but to him who died and rose for us. From now on, he is called to be subject to others, to serve them in the communion of the church, and to obey and submit to the church's leaders, holding them in respect and affection. Just as baptism is the source of responsibilities and duties, the baptized person also enjoys rights within the church to receive the sacraments, to be nourished with the word of God, and to be sustained by the other spiritual helps of the church. In a closing summary, I will say that everything that is broken about us, our relationships between our mind, our body and soul, the whole human self, our our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. Everything that's broken about us, baptism heals. And in this way, by healing us of those three things that God commands us to love, God, neighbor, and self, this sacrament of baptism prepares and enables us to love, not only love naturally, but by receiving the indwelling of the Holy Ghost, that baptism, God coming to dwell in the image of God. We are equipped and empowered to love in a divine way. It is healthy for our theological understanding of the sacrament of baptism to think of baptism as not a what, but rather as a who. That we are not merely being baptized into what? As being baptized into a church or baptized into a religion. Rather, in being baptized in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the church is affirming that we are being baptized into the family of the Holy Trinity. And the Holy Spirit has truly come to make his home in us, we have been baptized into God, and God has come to dwell in us. And just as 
new life in the Holy Trinity begins at the invocation of their names. Together with the triple immersion of pouring water or being dunked in water, immersed in water so three times, so too does the Holy Mass begin in nomine pacis, filio, spiritu, sancti, and through the liturgy, in this pedagogical repetition of praying and confessing, and standing and sitting and kneeling, the baptized are being taught how to be, how to speak, what to speak, how to pray, what to pray, how to confess, what to confess, so that we, who are formed through the liturgy, we might also naturally become that person in the world so that the world itself might become immersed in the Holy Spirit through us and begin every day in the name of his creator. In our next encounter, I look forward to sharing with you the Catholic Church's teaching on the sacrament of confirmation as well as the history of how these sacraments of initiation got all out of order. Thank you for listening.